You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Welcome back to Cross Section. I'm Kevin Jensen, and this is the In Between, Section 8O, the In Between Around the Crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, there were glimpses of that in-between realm between us and God all around uh, his, uh, his death, uh, before his death and after his death, angels, uh, the bodies of holy people who had died coming back to life in Jerusalem where Jesus was killed. And then the question of what happened to Jesus himself, his spirit, when uh, he died also. The in-between is the topic of our Wednesday morning Senior Adults and Friends Bible Study. We're looking at what Scripture says about that realm of existence that we cannot see. It's beyond our sight and our senses, that realm of angels, demons, the devil, heavenly and dark powers, and the spirits of the dead as they await the great resurrection. We're having a great time in this class, and I'm glad you're able to be a part of it. Let's jump on in, and I hope you enjoy today's lesson. Uh, last week, you said something kind of in passing about um, when Jesus handed the bread to Judas, and he took it, and then Satan came into him, Judas, and he left. And you had said something like Satan had come into Judas before the Last Supper. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Satan. And just come and go? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I hadn't thought of that that way. Um, well, let me show you what I'm referring to in the Bible and uh, let you uh, uh, just see what you think of it. Um, okay. Luke. Go back a little bit. Here we go. Okay. So Luke 22, first of all which is actually where we're going to start uh, for today here in just a minute, but earlier in that chapter, right at the beginning. So Luke 22, uh, verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So according to Luke, um, he says Satan entered Judas, and that's when Judas went to the Jewish leaders and made arrangements to betray Jesus. Um, so does that make sense so far? Yes. Okay. Uh, so then we have a couple of mentions of Satan's influence on Judas in the book of John. And we have to sort of coordinate the timing of these um, mentions of Satan. Uh, they're all right in the last few days of Jesus' ministry. So uh, that one that we just read from Luke 23 is, um, sorry, <coughs> 22, um, is, is very shortly before the Last Supper. Like the, the next story Luke tells is the Last Supper. So it's very close. Um, 
but Judas goes to the Jewish leaders, makes arrangements to betray Jesus, and they're going to pay him money. Okay, so then John 13, uh, verse 1, says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray, to betray Jesus. And so John takes us to the scene of the Last Supper and says, uh, Satan has already prompted Judas. Okay. I am working on a theory, and I've got to check with one of my old uh, uh, New Testament professors about this and see if somebody else has already come up with this. I'm working on a theory that, um, that John had a copy of the Gospel of Luke and uh, that he uses some tidbits from it to uh sort of refers to them alludes to them in his gospel okay that's a really technical scholarly thing to be thinking about working on um but i think john is saying is referring back to when satan had entered judas and judas went and made arrangements with the the jewish leaders uh, i think that's what john's referring to when he says uh the devil had already prompted judas to betray jesus so the devil has um has penetrated judas's defenses if judas had any defenses and he has been working in Judas's heart already. Uh, and, and that's how the arrangement to betray Jesus has come about. And then a little later in John 13, just a little bit later. Um, yeah, the, the, the couple of disciples have this question about oh, who's, who's going to betray Jesus. Jesus has just predicted that. And, in, and one of them asks the other disciple who's, reclining right beside Jesus to ask him, who's it going to be? And so 1326, uh, Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And then that's when Jesus tells him what you are about to do, do quickly. And the disciples don't understand, but Judas gets up and leaves at that point, And he goes to initiate the betrayal of Jesus. Um, and so Luke and John both refer to Satan um, either entering Judas or prompting Judas earlier. And that's when he went and made arrangements with the Jewish leaders. And now uh, John tells us that Satan enters into Judas when Judas actually goes to uh, basically bring the Jewish leaders to where Jesus will be uh, so that they can arrest him. So, yeah, he sort of comes and goes a little bit, but his influence, I'm sure, persisted uh, throughout that time. So what do you and think of that? And it could just be a translation thing, but to me, you can't enter unless you've left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe there's a, uh, you know, a, a different intensity of influence as uh, Satan um, interacts with Judas. Maybe he, maybe he comes to Judas and, and has, uh, you know, a stronger presence, stronger influence, um, really prompting Judas, as, as John puts it, uh, and, then, and then departs for a little bit. And then comes again. Uh, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, Satan is there and tempts him in at least three ways, three ways that we know of. And when Jesus resists all three, it says Satan left him until an opportune time. And so there we have Satan coming and then leaving, planning to come back 
something like that. So maybe maybe the maybe that's a similar situation in some ways. Thank you. Yeah, great question. I hadn't really thought about it that way. So you got me thinking. I appreciate that. That's good. Uh, Richard, uh, did you have a, a thought a second ago? Yeah, but I decided it was probably something that you and I should talk about in public. <laughs> rather, I mean, in private rather than here about, oh, okay. about your theory. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Sounds Not, good. Nothing, nothing to be concerned about. Okay. All right. Great. Any any other questions from last week or things you've been thinking about from what we've been studying last few weeks? And again, if you raise a hand, I might not see you. I can't see everybody at once. I can see four screens at a time. Okay. All right. So uh, let's jump in at Luke 22, verses 39 to 44. And we are coming now to uh, Jesus' last day before his crucifixion. Uh, and we'll look at... Um, uh, touches of the in-between realm uh, during Jesus' uh, passion and his, his suffering, and uh, and then his resurrection also. And these are these are pretty fascinating. Um, I'm excited for us to be here in our study today. Uh, and then when we get done with that, uh, if we have time today, I'm guessing we probably won't. Uh, but when we get done with that. We'll go into the spiritual realm during the church's first generation, which will take us into the book of Acts and some of the letters uh, of Paul, uh, especially in James also. And I have the worksheet for that prepared. Uh, it is on the members table at the church building. So if you're by the church building this week or on Sunday, you can pick up a copy of that if you like. It's also on the website under class materials, which is under um, worship and study, I believe. Uh, and so you should be able to find that and download it if you want to. That was just uh, just put that up yesterday, and it's ready to go for you. Okay, Luke twenty two verse thirty nine. This is um, the night that Jesus is betrayed. It's just before uh, the betrayal. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, "Pray that you will not fall into temptation." He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And so Luke has this mention of, uh, of an angel uh, who comes to Jesus. And a little caveat here. Um, you might see the footnote there from the New International Version that says many early manuscripts don't have verses 43 and 44. It may have been added in later. Uh, we're not 100% sure. I'm inclined to think that this is uh, legitimate and, and part of what actually happened to Jesus. And so I'm going to go with that theory uh, for today. Luke likes to mention angels in uh, the Gospel of Luke and in Acts. And so this seems like a natural uh, fit here. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with that assumption, what does this angel do for Jesus? What does he do? Strengthen him. Strengthen him. All right, Francis, why does Jesus need to be strengthened? I think he was in agony. Yeah. Because? He knew he was yeah. going to die. Yeah. 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 And he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. Yeah. 
He sure did. In fact, he there there may be some ways since he's the son of God. There may be some ways that he understood what was coming better than any human being, you know, other human being could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knows he knows both the pain he's going to go through and the evil that's going to prompt it. Yeah. But wasn't he in agony too because he knew that that he would be apart from God until the resurrection? You know, I. I'm not so sure of that theory. Some people make a big deal out of, oh, God turned his back on his son and all this. I don't know I don't that know that's that exactly right. He turned right. his back, but mm-hmm. it was a separation period. Um, I, I, I don't, yeah, again, I'm not sure on that um, because we're going to see in a minute that when Jesus dies, a whole bunch of holy people are raised back to life in Jerusalem. Uh, God is still very active, um, you know, in, in and around Jesus. Uh, but there is definitely a sense that God, you know, leaves him to suffer. Uh, and we, we get that theory that they, that God was separated from Jesus when he died from Jesus words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when he's on the cross? But, uh, but that's, that's too big a conclusion for us to come to from, from that one phrase or that one question Jesus asks of God, why have you forsaken me? Because um, if you take it by itself, yeah, it sounds like uh, God has, is, is turning away from his son. It's not going to save him. They're separated until Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, but there, there are some, there's some other information that we need to take into account. Uh, one part is Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22. It's the opening line of Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it, and then it goes on to express how um, the writer feels abandoned by God. But then toward the end, it comes around and says, but God is not abandoning me. He is with me. He will vindicate me. And I will you know, declare his praises, that sort of thing. So Jesus may be um, as much declaring God's going to win in the end as he is saying um, God has forsaken me and asking God why he's done so. Um, he, you know, he doesn't have a lot of strength at this point. It's close to his last breath, and uh, he can't give a sermon, but he can package a lot of meaning in just quoting the first line of Psalm 22. Uh, another mitigating factor in that theory is First uh, Peter 3 says that Jesus, when he, um, when he died, uh, was made alive in the Spirit. Um, that's a hard phrase to translate and to figure out exactly what Peter means, but he went and made proclamation in that state. He went and made proclamation to the spirits who had disobeyed back in the time of Noah, when God waited patiently while the ark was being built. Uh, And so Jesus, um, even when he uh, was physically dead, apparently uh, was spiritually active and went and spoke some message, Peter doesn't say what, to spirits that had disobeyed God back in the time of Noah. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not inclined to say that Jesus and God were separated when Jesus died. I, I suspect God was very near, actually, uh, even though it would have been hard to see from an earthly perspective at that moment. Mm-hmm. So that, <laughs> Sherry, I, I, I got going there on uh, a long, uh, long response to your uh, short question. Um, what, what do you I think? think yeah, okay. it really makes sense. Okay. All right. Thanks. But you can see, you know, why Jesus, like so many of us, you know, when we suffer, I mean, like me, when I was um, 
sickest, you know, some weeks ago. Um, and maybe like you, when you've been sick or, or terrible things have happened in life, you can feel abandoned by God and loved by God at the same time. And it's a strange phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the love of God in your head, but your heart says, where is he? And of course, you hear that same merging of those two sentiments in the Psalms uh, frequently. Kevin? Yeah, Richard. This is definitely going into realms of speculation and opinion, which we have to be very careful with. Mm -hmm. I've always been amazed at Mary's ability to watch her son suffer. And it's my belief that she knew that there would be a good ending. I don't know that. Mm. Uh, But to watch him suffer Uh, But with her, there was nothing she could do about it. With God, what what would be worse than to watch your son, who is perfect in every way, go through all this pain and anguish because mankind refused to obey God? Uh, Thinking of myself in that situation, if I had the power to stop it, I would probably stop it. Yeah. Wow, what a what a um, poignant glimpse into the heart of God there. Mm-hmm. Uh, how hard it must have been for him to see his son suffering on the cross. Know that he can fix it. He can stop it. He can change it. But for our sake, he doesn't. How magnificent is the love of God that he has for us. Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, looking at verse 43 and verse 44 here especially 43, Jesus has just prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, which of course God could do, but chooses not to do. And Jesus says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Beautiful prayer. And we honor Jesus for his submission to the will of his father. Um, But then, you know, maybe hoping that that his father would grant him a different path. uh, He has this angel appear to him and strengthen him. And what does that mean when the angel appears to him? It means two things. One, God loves you. God has sent an angel. Excuse me. God has sent an angel to strengthen his son. And two, you're going to have to go through with this anyway. Because if uh, if he didn't need to, there'd be no need for the angel to come and strengthen him. The angel might come and say, okay, it's canceled. Change your plans. But the angel comes and strengthens him instead. And uh, then he prays more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I, I mean, he had a he had a hard night, very hard night. Kevin? Yes. Along, along this line, I like the idea in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, where it talks about Jesus praying within the tears and everything. And then he prayed to the one who was able to save him, and he was heard. That, I think that is the main thing. God heard. Wow. He, had, he still had to suffer. And I think that's true with us today. We have to, God hears our prayers. That's, that is comforting. Mm. Whether, whether it makes even what we have to go through easier. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone through the book of Psalms and tried to mark the times when they, mainly David says, I prayed. He gets, you know, so upset about things. And then he says, and God heard me. Yeah. Or God answered, or God answered me. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Wow. That's, that's powerful stuff there, Mary Jo. We hurt, we pray. God hears us just as he heard his son. I was thinking about that the other day when you had your article about being sick and you were asking why. Mm -hmm. God, yes, yeah. God hears us. I think that is more important than, the, than what happens. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that's great. Well, well spoken, Mary Jo. Thank you. That's so encouraging. Uh, so when you pray this week, when you hurt and you pray, I hope you don't hurt. I hope life is great for you this week. But if you hurt and if you pray, well, if you hurt, when you pray, uh, remember that God hears your prayer. And uh, sometimes he makes the load lighter. Sometimes he strengthens us to bear up under it. Uh, he always gets us through it until he takes us home to be with him. And then we get rest. Then we get real rest at that point. Yeah. And he does for us just what he did for Jesus. Isn't that an honor? God would do for us what he did, what he did for his own son. What a blessing. And that's just more evidence that God takes us as his children uh, and loves us as a, a good father loves his children. Okay, let's go to our next passage. Matthew 26, starting in verse uh, 47. This is when Judas uh, comes to uh, lead that crowd to arrest Jesus. So while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And then, of course, the story goes on, and Jesus submits to the arrest. Uh, but that little line about the angels, um, Jesus says to this disciple who has cut off the high priest's servant's ear. That turns out to be Peter, according to the Gospel of John. Uh, he says, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? <laughs> and so Jesus is well defended, but he's chosen not to use uh, that defense because his father has chosen uh, for him to go through with this uh, plan that they had already uh, worked out. Uh, a legion of uh, Roman troops was uh, roughly 6,000 troops that could vary uh, quite a bit, uh, if I understand correctly. Um, and I'm not sure if that's 6,000 troops, not counting support staff, you know, people to fix wheels on chariots and to fix, you know, sandal straps and what, uh, to cook the food and all this, uh, or if that includes all those support people. Uh, I can't remember, but that's, anyway, it's a lot of angels. You know, if you go with the 6,000, that's 72,000 angels. All Jesus has to do is ask, and God will put at his disposal, put Jesus in charge of uh, 72,000 angels. Yeah, give or take. Which brings up another question. Um, how many angels are there? 
right? <laughs> if you remember our study from the book of Revelation a couple of years ago, uh, there were thousands upon thousands of revelation uh, of angels in, mentioned in the book of Revelation. Of course, Revelation's a vision, you know, everything doesn't have to be literally so. And yet, we get the impression sometimes in scripture that uh, there are an awful lot of angels out there. It's not like they're just two or three or 20 or 50, but uh, myriads and myriads of, of angels. I have no idea whether there are as many angels as humans. We have no information about whether angels reproduce or how many angels God created. Uh, we just, we don't know any, any of that, but apparently there are a lot of them and God can make them available to his son in an instant if he's so um, inclined and if his son uh, asks for it. And also there's a little hint here, and this will come out more in the book of Hebrews, um, that uh, Jesus is greater than the angels. If he calls on his father, uh, his father will uh, put these angels at his disposal. He'll put Jesus in charge of them to do with them as he pleases, use them in whatever way he, uh, he wishes. Um, and so Jesus is superior to the angels. And, and Revel, um, Hebrews 1 and 2 will make a big deal of that, that Jesus is superior uh, even to angels. Okay, little, little uh, touch on the in-between realm here in the arrest of Jesus in that scene out of Matthew 26. Let's go to our next passage, also in Matthew. This is a little bit later. This is when uh, Jesus is on the cross and he dies. And at that moment, the strangest thing happens. So Matthew 27, starting in verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And that's all Matthew tells us about them. He doesn't tell us what they did, except that they appeared to many people. Uh, we, we don't know <laughs> what they said or, uh, you know, how many conversations they had about what's it like to be dead. Um, you know, we, we just have no other information. And I think it's uh, kind of humorous. We have um, several songs in our church repertoire and our hymnal and in our white binder and um, other songs, you know, in, in churches. Uh, across the country, about the resurrection of Jesus. We love to sing about Jesus being raised from the dead. I don't know one of those songs that talks about the many holy people who had died being raised to life when Jesus died. Uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. We, uh, we see this line in Matthew, but um, we're not sure exactly what to do with it. We don't put it in our songs. Uh, why did these people come to life at this moment? Any theories? I have a question, though. Um, mm -hmm. So these weren't ghosts or their spirit. They were alive again. Yeah. The bodies wow. of many holy people wow. who died were raised to life. Yeah. Isn't that something? Wow. This coming Sunday, um, I'm going to be starting a new sermon series. I'm calling it Do Not Fear with do not in parentheses. 
because sometimes fear is appropriate for Christians and sometimes it's not. And so we're going to talk about good fear and bad fear this Sunday uh, and then get into more of the details in the weeks to come. And I was thinking about since um, I don't know that I've ever started a sermon series on Halloween before. It'll be Halloween. I probably won't <laughs> mention Halloween by name, but you'll know what I'm thinking because uh, we're talking about it here. Uh, I was thinking I might start with start the lesson on fear with uh, some of the spookiest moments in the Bible. And this will be on the list. Uh, bodies of many holy people who died being raised. I mean, can you imagine living in Jerusalem? It says that they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Can you imagine living in Jerusalem a few days after Jesus was killed and somebody you know is dead comes and walks into their house again? <laughs> you know? I mean, wow, what a bizarre thing. What did they talk about? What did they do? How long did they stay alive? I mean, did they get, you know, two more years, 10 more years, got to see their great grandkids? I mean, uh, what happened here? Were they only alive a few days and then they, you know, pass away again? I mean, you have to have, have, to have a second funeral for them? No idea. Lazarus makes sense to me. I assume Lazarus in John 11, when Jesus raises him from the dead, he comes back to life and lives out the rest of his years. You know, he apparently died, a not an old man, you know, but maybe in the prime of life. Um, so that makes sense to me. This one, I'm not sure what to do with this one. This is really strange. Kevin? Yes. I wondered too, how, who was it determined? How was it determined? Well, God determined it, but who got to be raised from the dead? Yeah, what's the criteria, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you have to be a yeah. good person or a bad yeah, person? Many or... holy people. Well, holy people. That's holy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. So how holy? You know, uh, which ones? Which ones didn't quite make the cut? <laughs> but it does say yeah. many bodies of the saints, so I do uh -huh. see that, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, and saint is what the NIV takes as holy people, because saint just means person who's sanctified, person who's been made holy. Um, yeah, so anytime you see saint in one of our translations, that's talking about people who are holy. Uh, it's not in the Catholic sense that they're elevated above everybody else. It's just God's people. You know, this is God's people. Now, you would think that that would make people really think like, okay, these are holy people that are being raised, and I want that to happen to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, it's a it's a um, uh, forerunner to the great resurrection, great resurrection that comes when when Jesus comes again. Um, and there's also uh, Vicky, I think you, you kind of touched on this a little bit. There's a um, witness here to the power of Jesus and to his identity as the son of God, that when he dies, these other people come back to life. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus is not an ordinary person. This does not happen when most people get crucified or just, or just die, you know? Um, and so there seems to be a um, testimonial purpose in their being raised from the dead that they, um, they will uh, witness to others about the reality that, that Jesus is the son of God makes you wonder when Jesus died, you know, going back to Sherry's question earlier about, okay, what's the relationship between God and Jesus when Jesus is, um, when his body has died? Uh, it may be that Jesus personally sets these people free from death at this moment. 
so that they come back to life, uh, which then makes you wonder what kind of authority did Jesus have even when he had died physically? Spiritually, he still has tremendous, you know, full authority of the Son of God. And he may have uh, brought these people back to life, even though Jesus himself was physically dead at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, just yep. guessing, you know, like Richard said a minute ago, we have to be careful about speculating. Uh, but that's kind of my my guess. I would lean sort of in that direction. I, I really appreciate your question because it makes me think about, okay, well, the judgment judges everyone who's gone. But this seems like, a, I don't know, prejudgment. I don't know how to word it. It sort of is. Yeah, sort of is a prejudgment. Mm -hmm. God has God has vindicated these people. These are holy people, and He's shown that by their resurrection. Yeah. Wouldn't these people have encouraged the apostles and other followers though, just by their testimony? Oh yeah, they sure could have. Mm -hmm. They sure could have, and I wish we had more information about how they did so, what they talked about, what was important to them when they came back from the dead. You know. Yeah. Richard, I think you had a thought a second ago. Oh, putting putting verse 52 and 53 together. 52, 52 says, the broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised from life. That verse by itself says that this happened the moment Christ died. But then 53 says they came out of the tombs after Jesus's resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Do you think that's just a continuation? They, they were raised and they were still there after his resurrection? Wow, good question. I don't have a better theory than that. Yeah, uh, off the top of my head, um, I'd have to dig around some commentaries to see if anybody does have a better theory. But yeah, it sounds to me like just a continuation. It seems, it, it would seem odd to me that these holy people would be raised to life when Jesus dies and the tombs break open. Um, but then they would just stay in the tombs for a couple more days until Jesus is raised. Right. Um, through the Sabbath, you know, stay, stay in their tomb and then, you know, go up here to people after Jesus comes back to life. Uh, that seems odd. So I like your theory better. Yeah, it's sort of a continuation. Well, good question. Anybody else? Well, we know back in uh, Matthew 17, when Moses and Elijah appeared, they were there just for a short time. They had one thing to do and they did it. Oh, oh boy, that's, that's an interesting comparison. Yeah. And they were there physically with, with Jesus and they were in a form that, Peter, James, and John could see. They stayed and did did one thing, talked with Jesus, and then they disappeared back to heaven, presumably. Maybe these uh, saints, these holy people who were raised, maybe they did the same thing. Went into the holy city, talked with some people, and then went back to be with God again. Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. That's an interesting theory. And if you look at verse 53, it says they came out of the tombs. This is at his death, and then after his re Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't say they went right into the holy city. Yeah. It says after the resurrection. Yeah. And, wow. and 
another thing that that Matthew doesn't explain is who are many people. Uh, mm -hmm. Did they appear to those that had crucified Christ, or did they just appear to disciples and help strengthen their convictions and beliefs? Uh, Matthew, which means God doesn't think Richard needs to know that. <laughs> yeah, but we want to know. I mean, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't explain. Uh, who were the holy people? Which which people? What was the what were the criteria for God choosing them? Uh, who are the many people to whom they appeared? Uh, we don't know. And this is the only mention of this in the whole Bible. We don't have any other information about these people who uh, were raised to life, which makes me think that, that uh, Mary Jo might be on the right track when she says, uh, well, maybe they were like Elijah and Moses who appeared briefly and then went back to heaven. Uh, maybe the same sort of thing here. Hard to say for sure, but that's, that could be a really good guess. Well, and they, Elijah and Moses only appeared to specific people, not to many people. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to have to leave this one shrouded in mystery. I think we figured it out about as well as we can. Uh, there's not a lot of information here, but there's a lot of intrigue and mystique around these uh, these two lines. Let's go on to um, the passages about the angels that appeared to Jesus um, after his uh, resurrection. And uh, these are, um, there, there are several. Let's see how far we get. Uh, here in just the next uh, 10, 10, 12 minutes or so. So Matthew 28 tells about the resurrection of Jesus, and it starts this way. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels, uh, tell of um, one or more angels being at the tomb of Jesus. And so we'll take a look at what each of them has to say, and we'll kind of compare uh, their accounts a little bit. Uh, as Just like with any other situation in life, if you get more witnesses, uh, talking about what happened, you get a fuller picture of uh, how things actually worked out uh, because each of them will emphasize uh, different things, maybe give different details. So I, I love what Matthew says about this angel. First of all, it's Matthew who tells us that it was the angel who rolled away the stone. And um, so we, we see the, the power of the angel. These stones were too big, uh, typically for one person to be able to roll away. But this angel has uh, more strength than an average human man, apparently and is able to roll uh, the stone. And I love that the angel sat on it. <laughs> that he, he rolled away the stone and sat on it. And the, the guards there saw this happen and they were scared to death. 
couldn't couldn't move. They shook and became like dead men. I mean, they were just petrified for a little while. Uh, I don't know how long they stayed that way and when at what point they ran away or fled, whatever, um, left the tomb. I don't know if they were there when the women came. I'm guessing they were not. I'm guessing they were gone by then because they're, they're not mentioned when the women arrive. Uh, but they, uh, they see it. They are witnesses of what happened, which may be how Matthew knows that an angel rolled the stone back and sat on it. Maybe he heard that from the uh, guards or somebody who knew the guards. Uh, the angel's appearance is interesting. It's similar to what we've seen in angels before. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Uh, angels often are bright, radiant, and uh, with white clothes, just like um, Jesus when he was on the mountain of transfiguration, and just like Jesus when we see him in the book of Revelation, uh, exalted and glorified in God's presence. So there's that, that angel, and this angel has a message for the women when they come, uh, that Jesus has been raised, and you can come in and look at where he lay. He's not there anymore. And then go and tell his disciples uh, he wants to see you in Galilee. And, uh, and then the angel says, now I have told you. And presumably, the angel goes back to heaven at that point, And the women take off to deliver the message. Okay, so there's, there's that angel at the tomb of Jesus, according to Matthew. Any, any thoughts on this angel before we go and look at uh, the same angel in Mark? I have a question about the guards. Okay. I know this is an old, old story, but I've always wondered why were there guards posted? Yeah, normally you wouldn't need to guard a tomb, right? Um, right. Maybe of a, a, a king or something, so nobody stole the really nice stuff you put in there, like in the old pyramids and such. Um, so Matthew, I think it's Matthew who, uh, who mentions why there were guards. Um, it's in Matthew 27. Uh, verses 62 to 66. And uh, Matthew says that the chief priests and the Pharisees go to Governor Pilate and they uh, mentioned to him that they remember he said he was going to rise from the dead and, and that's just going to stir up his followers all the more. And so um, they ask for a guard to be posted at the tomb uh, until the third day. And once the third day is passed, then they won't need the guard anymore because Jesus said he'd rising in on the third day, and Pilate tells him, go ahead and take a guard, make the tomb as secure as you know how, and so they posted a guard, and they um, put a seal on the stone, uh, so presumably a seal, wax seal connecting the stone with the uh, tomb itself, so that uh, it can be demonstrated that this stone has not moved, you know, unless that seal's broken, then, then it's moved, uh, and so, um, the, the, the guard they post is, is multiple people um, because uh, Matthew says they, uh, they shook like dead men, plural. Um, so it's more than one, um, probably, uh, I would guess probably four, I think is what's usually assumed. I don't know if we know the exact number. Uh, and they, uh, they, they stay there Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning until, uh, until the angel comes and rolls away the stone. And then they don't stay very long after that. And then Matthew says they... Um, uh, let's see, verses, uh, chapter 28, verses 11 to 15, Matthew says the soldiers uh, went to the chief priests and reported about what had happened with the angel and the stone and all this, everything they saw, and um, the chief priests pay them off 
to tell Pilate, oh, we fell asleep. And while we were asleep, Jesus' disciples came and took the body. And that's going to be the official story. Um, that's the one that's going to be released, you know, in the press releases to the media. And the, the chief priests are going to try to get around uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and so the, there were two competing stories, apparently, in Matthew's day. One saying Jesus had really been raised from the dead. And the other saying, oh, the guards fell asleep. And, and the disciples came and stole the body, which is really quite unbelievable that Roman or Jewish guards, either one, would fall asleep on the job like that. A whole group of them would. And not one of them would be awake. Um, and that the disciples would make so little noise moving that stone that uh, it wouldn't wake them, you know. Um, so not a very uh, not a very solid story. Yep. Yep. Not good question. That, that you generally when guards were deficient in their duties, they usually ended up dead. Yes. Yes. And so the chief priests have to. Uh, um, assure the guards that if you tell this story like we want you to and the report gets back to the governor in which case the guards lives would be in danger we will satisfy the governor which probably means we will pay him a bribe to just not worry about this uh and then uh, then you'll be okay so so the chief priests are really really invested in jesus not having really been raised from the dead or at least people not believing jesus has been raised from the dead yeah Okay, let's go to uh, Mark uh, chapter 16, and let's, let's compare uh, what Mark says about the angel to what Matthew said. Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was over, uh, which would technically be Saturday night after the sun sets, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome bought spices, uh, mother of James, sorry, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, so now it's Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, a couple of minor differences between what Matthew says and what Mark says. Uh, Mark specifies that by the time the women got to the tomb, the uh, angel is not sitting on the stone. He is inside the tomb. He's sitting on the right side as they go in. Uh, and he looks like a young man dressed in a white robe. And they are surprised to see him there, apparently. They are alarmed when they see him there. And uh, also Salome uh, is not mentioned in um, Matthew, right? I, I don't think she was. Let me go back and look. Uh, no, it just says Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. So there was another person. There's another person, yeah. Which reminds us that when... Uh, when we read the uh, accounts of what happened in scripture, they're not giving us all the details all the time. Some sometimes maybe, but, um, but they're mentioning the people that they feel it's important to mention. There may be others uh, too. Yeah. Yep, so Salome is there too. So there are at least three women. They see one angel. Uh, the angel is now inside the tomb. Not didn't stay sitting on the, the stone apparently. 
And he has uh, basically the same message uh, for them. Uh, Jesus, who you're looking for, is not here. He's been raised. Um, see the place where they laid him. See, there's nobody here anymore. And go tell his disciples and Peter, he wants to meet you in Galilee, as, you've, as he uh, told you before. Take a look at uh, Luke. Luke 24, 1 through 8, same, uh, same story. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. All right. Uh, first thing you notice that's different this time is that there are two angels, not just one. Uh, so Matthew and Mark each only mention one of the angels, but Luke uh, specifies, gives us more specific information. There are actually two. Both of them are enclosed that gleam like lightning. Uh, so bright, glorious. Um, and also, uh, when the women enter the tomb, they at first don't see the angels. Uh, suddenly, according to verse four, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them uh, and not sitting this time, but, but standing. Uh, and so the angels moved around apparently, you know, uh, for a moment, maybe one of them is sitting um, and then they're standing or maybe they were standing first and then one sat down, uh, something like that. And so when the, uh, when the women go in, um, Maybe, uh, maybe there's no one there for a moment, but the angels suddenly appear uh, and then speak to them. And uh, let's see, how are we on time? Okay, it's 11.12, and I'm thinking uh, think we probably better wrap up here and continue next time with a uh, passage out of uh, Luke 24 and then John's account of the uh, resurrection appearance of angels. Uh, and then passage out of um, Acts, when Jesus is, um, uh, when he leads, when he ascends into heaven. Uh, and then we'll move on to our, our next section, which uh, gets us into the time of the church. Kevin? Yeah, Richard. I'd, I'd like to take a minute to go back to where the soldiers are going to the chief priest. Okay. This had, I never thought of this before, but those chief priests knew the truth. They knew yeah. he was resurrected yeah. because if they didn't know that, didn't know that it's the truth, if, they, if there's no reason to bribe the soldiers, we'll tell those soldiers, listen, you didn't do your duty and I'm going to report you to the governor. Yes. So I think they, they knew. They knew the truth of what had happened. Of course, they don't want anybody else to hear about it. But that is sad. Isn't that sad? Such corruption in the jewish leadership yeah you know sometimes people will do anything to um to try to change the truth or arrange the situation so that nobody else will believe what's true um we certainly have to watch out for that in in politics today just as in the past you know it hasn't really changed um people in power try to mold reality to fit 
what they desire. And in this case, they do it in defiance of God. And what a shame. What a shame. Acts has a line uh, where it says that many priests became obedient to the faith. And um, I've always wondered if maybe the story of the soldiers and um, the chief priests hearing about that, maybe word got around and maybe some of the priests, maybe even some of the chief priests, eventually that convicted them, touched their hearts, and they um, stopped resisting God and came to believe in Jesus. I, I don't know. I, I hope the story of the soldiers, uh, the guards, uh, you know, made a difference in the, in the hearts of some of the priests. Yeah, good thought, Richard. Sad, um, sad, but uh, but really important for us to think about too. And of course, it reminds us that we need to um, keep our hearts honest and open uh, to the truth of God, even when we don't like it. Um, it's going to be better for us in the end, even if it's inconvenient now. Anybody else? Any other thoughts before we close up? Okay. Well, Richard, can I ask you, uh, uh, now that you're, that you're back, to uh, lead us uh, in a prayer to close up? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that we've had to be with our, our loved ones and study a portion of your word. We know that there are questions that come up that we don't really know the answers to but that means we don't need to know the answer but in the study that we've had today there is one truth that comes out loud and clear your son was resurrected and that brings us to the greatest hope that we have if we keep our minds on the goal we too will be resurrected to eternal life be with all those that need our prayers at this time and help us to take advantage of the opportunities you set before us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.